0: It could feel like it's do or die, but it completely is. You know, Even us knowing that we had a full release coming in the future, we knew that if our early access launch didn't go well, that would set the tone. But because we had that visibility, the numbers of wish lists we got, which then puts us in a sort of tier where we can get front page treatment in future because of sales and things like that.
1: This is Inside Indie Games. Join us behind the scenes to see what it takes to create a great indie company... ...and to craft the games that people long to play. In this episode, we'll hear from Gary Birchall of Fireblade Software. Now, Fireblade are the creators of Abandoned Ship... ...a single-player PC game which lets you take command of a ship and her crew... The game hit the giddy heights of 4th in the Steam Global Top Sellers chart at the height of its release, and I definitely wanted to find out more about what went into that. But Gary has experience on both sides of the fence in this industry. Before forming his own indie studio, he spent 13 years at Climax Studios, where he worked his way up to the role of executive producer. I was curious to hear his thoughts on how things have changed over the years. Particularly for graduates who are looking to break into the industry by getting their first jobs,
0: I guess it was around the mid two thousands that i uh. even like in the industry at that point, I started to notice that oh right there's like the local university has a games course um but that really, really accelerated quite quickly to to the point that I mean even in my previous job when hiring people, even, you know, years and years ago now, I remember thinking, you know, there are too many graduates coming out of these courses for really? jobs in the industry.
1: Is that still the case? Or has the industry grown enough to suck all those people up? Uh, I guess it's more because there's kind of like a
0: minimum level of expectation now. Um, when you come out of university with a games course, at one point that would have been like, oh, okay, this this puts you above and beyond other candidates i'm looking at that are juniors or graduates the issue is that there's so many people out there now that are graduating with games degrees um that it's it's not enough to stand out anymore so what i used to find when or even now when hiring people it's it's the graduates that not only come out with a a degree and, and or, or good qualifications or whatever but it's ones that also come along with examples of stuff they've done in their own time you know whether that's making mods or just experimenting with an engine just to you know i wanted to prove x and this is what i did to do that um, even if it's failed experiments you know that stuff's very valuable because it shows that they're really interested in pursuing this Um, rather
1: than just, hey, I'm going to do a games course and that's enough. Gary says he hadn't initially expected to work at Climax for such a long time, but that the company were really good at rewarding hardworking staff with internal promotions, and that meant he was always able to develop and progress. He told me this works well, so long as there's a solid core of experienced people in the company's senior positions. I wondered if indies might struggle to adopt a similar model, given that there's fewer positions, fewer levels, as well as less funding available to build offer rewards and incentives to their rising stars.
0: Yeah, certainly, like, indie teams are going to be uh, minuscule in comparison. Um, you get different levels of indie developers as well, of course, but, you know, our scale, uh, I think at peak we were five people and only two of those are employees, the rest are all freelancers. Um, Mm. And, you know, the good thing about that model is that we can expand and contract as we need to. Um, So at the moment there's just, uh, there's three of us on full time and then we draft in the rest of the team members, you know, occasionally when we need um, them to do work for us. Um, But it works because it means that, you know, I'm always slightly wary of of smaller studios that expand rapidly because you know once once you start you've got to keep that beast fed um, because if not you're gonna you're gonna fall over so um, yeah yeah the, the I think you know indie teams should have fewer people
1: but still aim to retain those good people I'm guessing
0: oh certainly uh, uh, what, what, yeah. Once you find somebody good, I mean, this applies in in any level of the industry, but yeah, you want to keep the good people. Um, You know, I'll be looking to keep this team together for as long as possible.
1: So Gary was able to work his way up the ranks at Climax, and he was involved in the making of the massively popular Assassin's Creed trilogy. Things seemed to be going really well. And then he decided to leave so naturally, I was curious, what prompted him to take the jump and start out on his own?
0: Yeah, my wife asked me
1: the same question. Um,
0: but uh, <laughs> when I got into the industry, I kind of had two visions. One was the A thing, which I've, I've mentioned previously. Um, and I worked on a canned title that we spent two years working on. Um, that uh, And I worked on it I was executive producer and the game director was, uh, Sam Barlow who did her story. Um, and you know, that, that was, we poured ourselves into that game and it was very, very hard. Um, you know, the company wasn't blameless, but the publisher brought in somebody new that had basically spent his entire career making FIFA games and thought that was the way to, to make games of any genre. Um, And so, yeah, that was a bit hard, Um, but you know, the game was going to be fantastic. Um, You know, at least a cult classic. Um, And when it got canned, that was really tough to take. And I kind of, it made me assess where I was in my career, what I wanted to do. um, And I think at that point is when I started to think about the other thing, the other thing that I, uh, the kind of the goal I had when I got into the industry, um, which was to do my own thing. Now at that time there wasn't the routes to market like there is now, you know, I can set up a company, go direct to steam and publish. Um, Whereas that didn't happen. That didn't exist back in, um, you know, 2002. Um, So I think back then it was more like, well, I'll, I'll get to the point where I run my own studio and then I'll get to do my own game sort of thing, um, which was you know, a bit naive perhaps. Um, but that I think planted the seed of maybe I don't want to sort of do this forever. Maybe I want to go off and do my own thing. Um, we then promptly landed you know, another really good project, um, which was the, the Assassin's Creed Chronicles trilogy, which, um, uh, I, we did, um, And so when I was getting to the end of that, again, it was sort of like, if I'm going to do this, maybe I should stop just thinking one day I'm going to do this and maybe (laughs) I should actually just go and do it. So (laughs) I did, obviously I didn't like have that epiphany and then decide, Hey, I quit. Um, I made sure that, you know, financially I was going to be in a position where I could uh attempt this and and things like that um but yeah that that was kind of like the the road
1: that led me to that point of of going off and doing my own thing so when you jumped into fireblade then when you started that company how did the first couple of months go? did they go to plan i was quite
0: diligent in that i knew that as time went on it would get harder and harder so i tried to do a lot of things early on that kind of set a framework um not just in terms of making the game but all of the boring business stuff around that um so things like you know setting up a company um doing a huge amount of research on not just other games but um how those games, you know, how successful indie games are marketed, um, you know, looking into getting set up for that. Um, you know, quite an eclectic bunch of things, but certainly going indie, all all things that are, you know, very, very important. Um, you know, making sure you understand like what you can expense, uh, keep a track of for accounting purposes and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um so there was a lot of that sort of thing as well as just sort of you know game side stuff of of planning out what it what we were going to do working on very early prototypes i found that there was a massive sense of guilt when i started because um if i wasn't contributing to the code base i was just like hey, what am i doing playing ga- games for research or looking at trailers for research you know it's uh, <laughs> That's basically dossing. It's not, it's a very important yeah. aspect. But <laughs> I, I think because you have this guilt of, I've thrown, you know, I've, I've resigned from my previous stable job and, you know, sort of gambled it all, that you kind of just have this, yeah, massive sense yeah. of guilt.
1: <laughs> at that stage in the first couple of months did you well actually before that even did you have funding secured for the company or how how did you manage that um
0: it was all self-funded yeah things kind of changed for us when we got accepted into the uk games fund um the support we got financially from those guys meant that uh it, it really changed the landscape for us
1: and what did that what did that enable then what were you able to do with that money
0: we had certain things that we wanted to do but we knew we wouldn't be able to and because our, our costs were basically manpower um yeah it allowed us to keep freelancers on to generate the sort of content and systems that we wanted to to kind of really
1: fully realize the vision Fast forward to early 2018 and the release of Fireblade's debut game, Abandoned Ship. And it has to be said, things got off to a pretty good start. We hit fourth on the global top sellers chart, which
0: it's kind of... Before we launched, I was like, okay, um, in early access, you don't get on the new and trending tab. You have to be a full release for that. Um, So that's a bunch of visibility that we'll miss out on, but... Um, you know if you go to full release you want to hit that first because that is then the pathway to get on the top sellers chart which is your um, uh, the country you're in's chart and like the holy grail then is getting in the the uh, higher echelons of the, the global top sellers um, and yeah we oh, okay. um, the night we launched we the highest point was uh, fourth on the global top sellers chart which was Absolutely mind blowing. Um I think, you know, above us was PUBG and uh a week before Kingdom Come Deliverance launch, so it's like, okay, that's fair enough. Um and then Arc was one position yeah, above us yeah. because they had sixty six percent off. And I was like, ah oh. you know if if they didn't have that big sale, <laughs> would we have ended up third rather than fourth? But hey, yeah, you know, it's beyond my control. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, but it's Still did well. <laughs> that that sort of hitting those things is so important because if you can get on the new and trending tab, or if you can get in top sellers, let alone global top sellers, you then get a level of visibility on the front page that you you just can't get. You know, you could plow lots of money into marketing, which we didn't. Um, or you could have loads of articles, uh, and, and YouTube videos, which we did. Um, but you know, you can't brute force the sort of visibility that you'll get from being on the front page of steam. So, you know, once you do start to right. get in those tabs, you then get kind of tagged as a top seller, which means you can end up having a banner across the top yeah. of steam, um, which, uh, you know, they've got a carousel that goes around. Getting in that is is massive as well because that's one of the first things people see. Um, and it, it really is, you know, it, it could feel like it's do or die, but it completely is, you know. Even us knowing that we had a full release coming in the future, um, we knew that if our early mm-hmm. access launch didn't go well, then we would, you know, that would set the tone. Um, so, you know, things have worked out well for us, you know. We've worked very hard to get that. Probably had a, a dash of luck in there as well. Um, but because we had that visibility, you know, the the numbers of wish lists we got, which then, um, you know, puts us in a sort of tier where we can get um, front, tra- uh, front page treatment in future because of, um, you know, sales and things like that.
1: Do you you mind sharing how many sales you have to get to get to that stage? Do you remember?
0: I think it's completely dependent on um, uh, just the positioning. So on the run-up to Christmas, you'd need to sell that many more copies than a very quiet period. Um, But yeah, as long as you can, because it's all algorithmically driven, um, I think as long as you can chart, then you kind of automatically get tagged as a top seller um, Mm. and, I've within the community, I think it was Jake Burkett from Great Alien Games, which is an indie company that uh, I think they made Regency Solitaire. Um, I think he gave a talk recently or posted something up on Gamma Sutra, which um, he was told about 50,000 wish lists gets you noticed by Valve to the point where you could get uh, front page placement uh, in future. What was interesting for us was that we worked extremely hard um to get wish lists before we launched, because you know people can buy the game, so that was like the next step of commitment um, and you know not everyone that wishlists the game is going to buy it. Um, a lot of people will be waiting for it to come out of early access, and a lot of people will be waiting for it yeah. to be yeah. drastically reduced in a couple of years' time or whatever yeah. um, but I think we entered. Um. Uh, the, the, the day before we launched we were kind of at the point where we had tens of thousands of wish lists and that was good and we were very happy with that um, but mm. just the visibility from being on the front page of Steam um, and, and all the other materials that we'd worked hard to get like all the articles and YouTube videos and stuff yeah. Yeah. within a week of being out we like tripled our wish list numbers it was insane
1: right
0: initially i was like yeah. oh well, what was all the point of that hard work if we just went and got those numbers when we mm-hmm. launched the point was we got those numbers when we launched because we put in all that hard work you know, marketing yeah. the game yeah. before we released we joked that our marketing budget was 30 pounds because we once got a facebook credit for 30 pounds um i mean of course you know, there was the time we spent creating marketing materials. I think we we did like six or seven trailers uh, in a year, f- you know, from a year before we released to kind of when we actually launched. Um, but yeah, all of that was just, I've never done marketing before, but I basically did it all myself. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that comes with the cost, of course, you know, not just in terms of the time I spent doing it and the team, the other team members spent creating the assets or whatever um but you know the time I spent doing that I wasn't making the game um which then has an impact as well so yeah I flippantly say it had our marketing had no cost of course it has a cost um but not really a kind of we didn't have a lump sum of like hey we're going to spend 15 grand on ads or anything like that nothing like that
1: yeah yeah can you give me an example of a, maybe an article and a YouTube video that you managed to to get that that made a difference? Do you think our biggest um, video we did
0: before we released was our announcement trailer? I'm very much a fan of go big or go home, so I wanted a trailer that was really going to achieve a few key things. You know, it had to show gameplay within a couple of you know like five seconds. Um, no, Don't bother showing logos and stuff to begin with because unless you're a huge studio, nobody cares. Um, and it's got to sell the vision. And so our announcement trailer um, was basically... Um, it was quite long for, an, uh, for a kind of opening trailer. It was a couple of minutes. You know, Normally, these things are 30 seconds a minute. Um, but it kind of uh, told this story of, of you know, all through gameplay clips of, um, uh, you know, a captain and his ship going through tougher and tougher times, you know, like you get attacked by a Kraken and then big tidal waves hit you and stuff like that. Um, and then you sink uh, most of the time in games like this, you know, the players, basically the vessel they're traveling in. Um, but for us, we're different. If, uh, if the captain, uh, is alive basically there's hope because you know it can be in the lifeboat with the crew or it could be stranded in water alone but in those situations you can be rescued so we showed that in the trailer and then we showed the captain you know coming back with a vengeance sort of thing uh, and that that finished it off but that showed everything we wanted to to get people interested and if you're going to do something like that which i'd highly recommend um then You've got to sell the vision, otherwise there's there's no point. But that was really good for us because you know we were always planning to self publish, but that was successful enough that we had publishers start to approach us, um, and it was all off at of the back of of the trailer because um, you know you should have a good compelling game, um, but you know people also want to be sold on the vision, and a, a kind of a trailer like we did was. Um, was a complete game changer for us um but that basically led to you know the start of many articles from sites that i was really wanting to get into like pc gamer and rps and pc games n um because they are our target market yeah
1: and and how did you manage that link then how did you get that how did you grow visibility around that youtube video to draw all those article right those article writers
0: Well, so I just made sure that when we launched, I emailed, I had, you know, I've built a huge press list of, of contacts. Mm. Um, and this information is out there to get from, you know, if you dig deep, if you put in the time to, to research it, you can get all the email addresses you need for, Mm. for specific journalists. Um, so I had this press list and I basically had a a hell of a lot of emails that I sent out. Um, so I think, you know, just for our announcement trailer, we got over a hundred articles, Um, but also you know that that should be worldwide Um, you know it's easier for me to get English speaking websites and contact details but I spent a lot of time also accumulating a huge list of um, uh, non-English speaking websites and and people to email and um, that's really important because you know I think about 60 percent of our views on that trailer um so i think it's on about 120,000 views now um which bear in might it's been out for over a year but okay 117,000 views uh, about 60% of those are from non-english speaking countries
1: really interesting
0: so you know it's not as simple as going well that all came about because of people i uh articles that non-english articles that covered us um but it would have had a big impact and um you don't want you know you want to get as many eyes on you as possible so yeah Yeah. just you've got to work hard to achieve that
1: yeah excellent what would you what would you tell a company that's thinking about taking the same path they want to self-publish on steam what are the what's the, the the most important thing they need to do to make sure or to get, stand the best chance, I should say, of succeeding with it?
0: I think if, if somebody is going to do this on their own, they have to have someone on their team that can market the game and market it really well because if you do not get noticed, it doesn't matter how good your game is, you will disappear. Um, if you can't do that yourself, then... You need to get help, whether that's bringing on a PR person or getting a publisher on board who is going to handle that side for you. Um, that is like, yeah, the the number one thing I think. Personally, you need to ask yourself whether you are up for the fight because this is something, yeah, we've we've struggled with. You know, we've um, we had a you know not a we're not a runaway success but we've done well and you know the the business is secure sort of thing um but we're not like we didn't go and sell a million copies or anything and, you know i'm not sitting here in the bahamas doing this recording um so uh you know when we had that many eyes on us you know you suddenly got a community that is awake 24/7 because they're all scattered around the world. Uh, You know, somebody's had a crash, they might be angry about that and, you know, want to know why you're not responding when it's half two your time. Um, But hey, you're, you know, you're just sat in your home office making a game sort of thing. So you have to be prepared to take on that um, and all that goes with it through the good times and the bad um, because even success can be tough. So, yeah, I think that's another thing I would recommend is, you know, are you really, really up for it? And it's um, it's a tough one. It's a little bit like uh, becoming a parent, right? You think you've got it all worked out, but then when you become a parent, you're like, ah, oh, you know, Pastor Gary was so naive. Um, and kind of I found that you know, with all the experience I have, you know, and I say that with a, a wry smile on my face – Um, because I'm still constantly learning all the time. Um, but you know, all this experience I had and I have learned so much doing this. Um, and I've no doubt that, you know, come the next game, I'll be saying exactly the same thing past Gary was completely naive.
1: What do you wish you knew before you started in all of this then? Um,
0: a very logistical thing, um, but it really hit us when we launched Abandoned Ship was um, that no matter how much testing you do, when you release your game, there will always be things that come out of the woodwork that um, you have to react to. So, uh, you know, part of the playtesting we did for Abandoned Ship, we had a couple of hundred people playtest the game. Um... But, you know, obviously on PC, you've got such a a near infinite combination of software and hardware. Um, And when you launch, you want a couple of hundred, more than a couple of hundred people buying your game. Um, So, you know, if you've got thousands, tens of thousands of people playing your game, suddenly that really uh, opens you up to some things that you're going to have to react to because, um, you know, sometimes that's obscure things like uh, particular graphics cards not running on your version of the engine. Sometimes you'll just get a bit unlucky because you know nobody happened to have a particular version of antivirus software that prevents your game from running unless you add yes. it to the exceptions <laughs> list. Um, but I would try and do some research on, if, especially if you're using middleware for your engine, what sort of problems have cropped up in your version of the engine for other games especially ones that have released recently Mm -hmm. um to see if you can catch some of these things um because you will have people you know rightly complaining because they've bought your game and if it's not running or there's a big problem then you need to react to that you need to communicate that um you are able to you know you're working on this it's on your radar um, and help these people resolve these compatibility issues so yeah that would have If I had a crystal ball, that would have been something that would have been lovely to have had to make our launch period just a little bit more relaxing.
1: What about then advice? What what was the best advice you got from someone else? Um, I think it's really important to
0: know how to treat advice because there's a lot of information out there that you can get. Um, But the industry changes so quickly that it can be hard to sort of sometimes bring out what are the best things every everybody has an approach to um gaining some success and you know even in this podcast i've talked about ways that we've been successful and things like that um always take those with a pinch of salt because everything's different for you you know the team are different um, the industry changes constantly and your game's different so you need to do well at extracting what information is going to be useful for you and relevant for you, and from that, kind of compile your plan. Um, That being said, one thing that somebody said to me, and it was another indie developer called Harry Tufts who made a game called House of Many Doors. And I was talking to him at an event about how it feels like with marketing, sometimes it feels like you're kind of just screaming into the void And he said something that's always stuck with me, which was, um, even though it may feel like that, just because people aren't necessarily responding to every post you make or, you know, you're getting the kind of engagement that you want, doesn't mean that people aren't seeing it. Mm -hmm. And that's very true, I think, because even even I do it, I'll see so many things that I think, oh, that's cool, but I won't press like or share it and things like that. I do more so now just to kind of pay it forward because I know little things like that help people not just spread the word, but also it makes, I think, games content creators feel a bit happier that they're getting that engagement. (laughs) And it's a very simple and easy thing to do. But I think the vast majority of people don't. But of course, they still see it. And, you know, that kind of biopsychology of, you have to see something so many times before you're ready to kind of make a purchase is is very important. So I think that was really good advice because it kind of reminded me to just, you know, keep going and keep talking about the game.
1: This next question is maybe more, it may even be more related to your time in big companies um, with the big games business, but um, maybe it relates to your current situation as well. But is there anything you tell or warn new employees about? Um, Thinking back to my previous job,
0: no, I kind of, it was more just I trusted people to come in and do the job that they were hired for, and it was only if that wasn't happening that then that would be something to talk about. Um, I mean, naturally, we'd make sure that there was support in place to make sure people were being mentored if they were junior or that they basically knew what to do um i think i i kind of originally uh when you you mentioned that question i i automatically kind of twisted it to um the indie space in mm-hmm. like what would i warn new indie developers about yeah yeah, yeah. um and for that um I'd say try not to get too hooked up on other people's success. I think it's important to look at what other indie developers are doing that um, is successful and learn from any mistakes, but definitely don't get caught in that cycle of, oh, well, why aren't we as successful as them? Um, Because that's... On a hiding to nothing I, th- I think yeah. um, you need to identify what's success for you because um, you know some of the numbers I've talked about here um, some people might be listening to this and going wow I that that's amazing I'd love numbers like that um, but that doesn't necessarily have to mean success for you um, hmm. likewise there might be... Uh, people listening to this that have got numbers that completely dwarf what we've got and they're going well how do they get by on numbers like that but that's not that doesn't matter because for us that is successful um that doesn't mean that i don't sit there going right we need to maximize this as much as possible what can we do to get you know even more from it but i think that's just
1: Yeah. yeah business absolutely yeah in a related sense, what do you? that's good advice for individual developers or employees, I think. What do you think indie companies as a whole tend to do wrong when they first start up?
0: I think a lot of indie companies don't think enough about marketing. I've probably talked about that a lot during this interview, <laughs> but it is a very important point that people miss. I mean, fundamentally... If people don't know about your game, doesn't matter how good it's going to be, they are not going to get it. Um, and, you know, obviously there's always trends where like something comes out of nowhere, hardly does any marketing, but something about it goes viral. You don't... This, this precious thing that you're working on is too important for you to rely on luck like that. You need to do whatever you can to make sure that... um know there's there's eyes on you and it is a literal case of the more people that see you then the more people buy your game it is a numbers game so you know numbers vary between games but um you know if a million people see your trailers then there might be uh Ten thousand the that wishlist your game and then there might be a thousand of those will buy your game in the launch period you know the the percentage of the conversion rate changes like i said from from game to game but mm. when you look at it in those terms it is a case of well if i just get that eyes on me number as high as possible that's gonna make all the other numbers go up
1: thanks for listening to the first season of Inside Indie Games. And I've got just one ask for you just now. Find us on Twitter at UKGamesFund and tell us who you want to hear on a future episode. We'll do our best to track them down and bring them on. And if you want to find out more about us too, hop over to UKGamesFund.com. See you in the next episode.